Welcome to WFIU's Profiles. Profiles is a weekly program that introduces members of our community as well as notable visiting artists, scholars, and entertainers to the WFIU audience. I'm Megan Meyer, and our guest today is Arja Rinpoche, a high Tibetan lama and former abbot of the Khumbu Monastery in eastern Tibet. Today, he is the director of the Tibetan-Mongolian Buddhist Cultural Center in Bloomington, Indiana. His autobiography, Surviving the Dragon, includes a first-hand account of what Buddhist monks endured during the Cultural Revolution in Chinese-occupied Tibet. Rinpoche, thank you for being with us. Uh, you're welcome. Now, I understand that Arja Rinpoche is your title. It wasn't the name that you were born with. Could yes. You, could you explain that? Yes. Uh, actually, this is my uh, religious title. My first name, you know, when I was uh, little, you know, uh, my parents gave me a name that's called Yongzhong Dorji. So after that, then uh, monks from our monastery, they find me as a reincarnation. Uh, later, they give me a title, which is Arja Rinpoche. So the Arja means like a father. So that which is like a founder of our traditions, father. You know, that's father's reincarnation. So that's why father Arja. The Rinpoche means like a, like a priest or bishop or something like that. So the, literally the idea is precious one. So that's why precious one, uh, like a father, like that. So this is like a, a religious title. And how did you come to earn that title? That's a long story. Uh, in Tibetan tradition, we have this reincarnation, that's idea. Uh, the reincarnation, uh, you know, uh, we recognize that everyone has reincarnation, but we emphasize the teachers and the spiritual leaders and the, the abbots, those people's reincarnation. Uh, when they find that there's reincarnations, then uh, they educate them since they are very young. Then later on, they can continue to give the talks and hold the Dharma lineage. So then that's kind of history and the, the background. So my uh, story is uh, I was born in 50. My previous one passed away in 1949, I guess. So then after that, then the monks from our monastery, they went to our place, my birthplace, uh, which is a nomad place. You know, it's a mountain. It's very beautiful like that. So I'm a Mongolian descent from Tibet. So I was, uh, you know, born in a nomad family. So then they went there and they find me and, uh, you know, they just uh, write down my names like that and then some other different kids' name. So then they give them to a high lama in the Kumbum. Kumbum is a big monastery. Then in that time, the, we have uh, two spiritual leaders. One is Dalai Lama, one is uh, Panchen Lama. So that time, the Panchen Lama stayed in our Kumbh Monastery. So they informed the uh, Panchen Lama to find my reincarnation. So then, you know, he find lots of names. Those are uh, nominee of the uh, Arjun Buddha's reincarnation. You know, so then we doing uh, our religious procedure, then ritual procedure, then finally find my name. So that's why I became, uh, you know, reincarnation of the eighth. What was that ritual like? That's a very interesting story. When we call the monks, call a search group. When search group go to uh, different places, uh, they search that's uh, uh, children there. So then they, uh, first of all, they will carry some objects like items from the previous 
uh, person used, like pens or like prey beads or glasses or whatever, something. And they go there and, uh, you know, let the little baby to recognize them. So sometimes, very interestingly, uh, some of them maybe, you know, just uh, catch the pen or prey beads or something like that, then they will say, oh, that's have a special evidence, you know. So then uh, eventually they can find the three names from them. So then they give those three names to the Panchen Lama. Then Panchen Lama secretary will write down those three names on the piece of paper, three different pieces of papers. Then they, you know, roll them. And uh, uh, then we use a special food called zamba. Uh, zamba is a very special common food in Tibet, uh, which is uh, made by barley flour, cooked barley flour. So then we use that zamba and make little dolls. Then we put that name inside, actually insert that name inside the zamba ball. Then they put that three zamba balls in a special goblet. Then use a special fabric to cover it. And even with little something to tie it up and seal them. Then put them in a very special Buddhist altar or somewhere. Then say prayers and blessing them. After certain days, then the Panchalama will hold that goblet then the thousands of people will uh, gather there. So then he will uncover that, uh, you know, fabric and the front of that people. Uh, then he will swirl them. So then one of the zamba ball will jump out. When jumped out, then he opened up. He opened that name, then read that name. So that is the, you know, the last uh, procedure to find this reincarnation. So that's why I always making this jo joke, you know, we're making a llama lottery. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I like that. So they recognized your reincarnation and then you were two years old, is that correct? Yes, two years old. And they took you to Kumbu Monastery. Yes, Can that's correct. Can you talk about your life a little yeah, bit there? Yeah, when I recently, you know, just talked to people, uh, lots of people, you know, very interested that they're asking the same question at you. You know, uh, they said that you know, when you were two years old, when you go to monastery, your parents allowed you to do that, like that. So actually in Tibet, uh, the tradition is every family, if you have kids or something, you know, one of them, no matter uh, it's a boy or a girl, they might uh, voluntarily send them to a monastery or nunnery to get the education. So uh, that is our tradition. Uh, among them, uh, if one of them became a reincarnation, they feel like very fortunate. So that's why parents are supposedly very, very happy, you know. Uh, however, the little boy go to a monastery, separate the family, it's a little difficult thing. So the Actually, the monastery, uh, they did uh, very well. So they invited my parents to the monastery, stay with me. So then they, in the monastery, they can take care of me until I grow up, you know. So then also my two brothers with me and grew up together. So we have, uh, you know, other friends can play together like that. Yeah. Now, 
When you were eight years old, that was when um, the Chinese occupied the area that you were living in. Is that correct? Yes. Actually, the Chinese start 1949 already, you know, uh, ruling our place. So uh, until uh, 1958, uh, they didn't do anything, you know, because the policy. So uh, they allowed us to pra- practice and prayers and do the religious things. So. In 1958, then all of a sudden, everything's changed because of the Chinese policy. So that time they called the Great Leap Forward. So then uh, even during that uh, political campaign, one of the uh, campaign called Religious Reform. So the Religious Reform actually directly, uh, you know, attacked the religion and the monasteries. So that time everything changed. And so it was during this time, I mean, the whole reason you were at the monastery was to receive religious education and you had to suspend your education. Yes. Well, one time we had a big meeting. So that's uh, uh, Chinese government, you know, uh, they formed this meeting. On this meeting, uh, that time in Kumbum, Kumbum is a big monastery. Actually, we call it monastic university. So then we have several monastic universities in Tibet. So Kumbum is the one of them. So in Kumbum, uh, used to we have uh, 4,000 monks. Uh, on the history, also we had the one time we had the 7,000 monks too. So uh, anyway, the 1958, we had the 4,000 monks together. Then they had the meeting. So on this meeting, they arrested the monks. So the spiritual leaders and the teachers, all abbots and the important people, all arrested. Maybe five, six hundred people arrested. And then after that, uh, you know, ask us to live together. So something called a commune, you know, like a people's commune. So the people's commune, the idea is the communist idea. You know, people have to live together and eat together, work together, study together, of course. So then uh, we all live together, uh, forcefully have to this rope, then the young people go to a field to work, then uh, elders maybe stay in home and study and uh, they call education, you know. Uh, then I was at that time eight years old, so I was sent to a Chinese school to study Chinese. Yeah. Now, what kinds of things did you study instead of the religious education you were supposed to be receiving? Religion that time considered as a poison, so that's why it was denounced. You know, religion you can't practice. You practice is religion as against the law. Uh, actually, they called the counter-revolutionary, so that's why you can't practice. So instead, they they studied the communism, uh, socialism. So they have lots of uh, like uh, document like uh, books and uh, uh, basically they studied that uh, uh, Soviet Union thing I guess there's some of them from idea from Russia you know the Marxism or Leninism like that so they're giving that kind of education you know how to people have to work together and so on so then that's uh, there's two classes and uh, you know how to denounce the bad classes and then all the people uh, you know on the country and so on so like that's, you know, the feudalism and the religion should be denounced and like that kind of education. You know, that's a whole system. Uh, it's uh, very complicated, yeah. 
Now, you were also able at times to secretly study religious texts. Yes. Uh, that time, actually, uh, you know, the, the whole thing is a big distraction for the religion. You know, the monastery is closed. The monks can't uh, uh, practice, have to, you know, disrobe the forcefully, have to work in the fields. Then uh, even during the Cultural Revolution, the monasteries destroyed, the, the statues destroyed, the, the sutras, you know, the sacred texts burned out like that. So anyway, uh, all of them for us is big, big suffering, you know. So the Tibetans and the Mongolians, even the Chinese culture, you know, had a very, very uh, big destroy and destructions that time. So that time, instead, that's people suffering and, uh, you know, like uh, how to pass this very hard time. My spiritual teachers encourage me, you know, they practice, they continue practice, they continue, you know, kind of practice the patient and compassion. So that's really encouraged me. And eventually they secretly give us a talk, the teachings like that, you know. So then uh, even during this cultural revolution, I had the opportunity to study with them. That's very secret, you know. You write how certain initiatives executed by the Chinese government seemed to foster feelings of suspicion and skepticism amongst the monks and, and yourself. Could you explain how that affected your spiritual development or your faith? Of course, the communist is uh, non-religious. So that's why they don't believe religion. They consider this religion as a poison. We Buddhists, as a religious people, so we consider that Buddha Dharma Sangha is a three jewels, you know, like we have to practice. So someone uh, forcefully uh, ask you to denounce the three jewels like that. For instance, the Christianity, you know, somebody come and you have to denounce that uh, God or Jesus. So that's uh, how difficult for this person, just like this idea. So that's why very, very difficult. However, uh, then after that cultural revolution, uh, the government also uh, kind of compromised a lot bad. So they said uh, people can practice, you know, then in the in Chinese constitution also they said the religion is, uh, you know, practice religion as a freedom. You know, you have freedom of religion. You can believe or you you don't believe or you believe that's your choices, so on. So, however, that's a whole system as a communist. So they try to control religion and, uh, you know, eventually destroy the religion. So that's really uh, uh, difficult for us. So that's why monks are still had very difficulties that time. Uh, then during the Cultural Revolution, of course, it's different, difficult. So you have to uh, destroy the religion and everything, you know, statues and everything. Later on, they didn't do that, however, but they control you. So you have to follow that uh, communist uh, instruction. You know, for instance, you can't practice or you can't worship the uh, Dalai Lama, for instance, like that. So that's a Tibetan tradition. You know, the Buddhist belief uh, teacher is very important because the teacher as a bridge 
age. You know, when you get the enlightenment, you have to go through the teacher. So that's why we consider that that's Dalai Lama or Panchen Lama as a spiritual teacher. So then the policy you have to denounce your teacher as an enemy. You know, like a counter-revolutionary. So that's very difficult. So that kind of thing happened a lot. But、uh, you know, always we compromise. We try to figure out how to do go between. You know, like that's you know the government and the people and the monastery. So then the final thing for me is very difficult. Then I have to escape because the Panchen Lama. Yeah. And since the religious expression was.、Uh, Either forbidden or or discouraged, you describe how monks, yourself included, lived the lives of of laymen, of lay people. What was what was that like? Yes. Of course, different than the monastic life. You know, the, in the monastery,、uh, we're so different.、Uh, of course, we were not really isolated, but、uh, you know, some sort.、Uh, then we we have to wearing our robes and we study and、uh, we practice like that. So then, all of a sudden,、uh, that whole thing changed. You have to disrobe. You know, so you have to work in the fields. Then encourage you to you know merit like that. So. All of them for religious people is very very difficult. Uh, however, uh, you know,、uh, under that kind of condition, we practiced. So we try to find the、uh, you know that's positive way to practice. For instance, sometimes we have very difficulties. Then the teachers always secretly tell us, you know, instead you consider this as a burden. You should consider this as a decoration. Uh, for instance,、uh, you wearing a decoration, right? So the decoration is very heavy. But、uh, you think that it's a decoration, then you don't feel that's heavy, like a beautiful. If you consider that it's a burden, then just、uh, you know, like、uh, you know, you feel like heavy. Oh, that's. Difficult and hard. How I wearing this like that? So, so that's why when you work in the fields, you consider that is、uh, you practice the patience. You practice for the all sentient being, not just for only yourself like that. And when you receive sufferings, then you consider like、uh, you receive the suffering from the different people's burden. You know, like that. Instead,、uh, you have this、uh, suffering, then other people have the suffering. You have it to instead. You know. Like that, so that kind of practice,、uh, you know, exchange the suffering we call. So when you have that kind of practice, then you feel like a little easier. What do you feel is is the best kind of relationship that religions and governments, secular governments,、uh, could have? Actually,、uh, in China, they always say that、uh, religion and the government have to be separate. So when I、uh, was in exile now already twelve years ago, when I come to、uh, United States, also I heard that you know、uh, the church and the state have to be、uh, separate. So the idea is wonderful. You know they should be separate. However. In certain type, you know, they can't really、uh, separate. You know, they always work together. For instance, I'm in a monastery.、Uh, if I do something, the government doesn't like it. They will criticize you. You as、uh, like a political monk, like that.、Uh, however, my title, the. Given by the Chinese government, it's a Chinese People's Political、uh, Consultant Committee 
standing member, which means like a political title. So that's really can't separate. So then you go between the government and the people or monastery. So actually, that's I find out that there's a, a way to do that. You know, I uh, used to I'm working that way. You know, I just uh, talk to the people. Uh, they have to uh, follow the certain rules. They also they can find a way to practice and then talk to government. You know, the people have difficulties. You have to go and check them and give some kind of solution or something. Sometimes it works well, so it's uh, it's okay. <laughs> the revolutionaries that you talk about in in your book, they describe Buddhist monks as exploiters. Why did they do that? Why did they choose that term? That time, the uh, Cultural Revolution, the even the communist earlier. They they had those two kind of uh, classes. So then they everywhere they making that different classes. Like in the school, like professors or teachers or the dean or whatever, those are considered as a bad class. They always you know oppose the people like that. So then the people are lower class. So in the farmer also say that. In the farm also say that. In the workers like factories they also say that. In the Monastery, same. So then the monastery, uh, then they made those kind of two different classes. That's the idea is to try to, you know, the, the lower class have to stand up and uh, to fight with the, uh, you know, the higher class. So that's uh, during the Cultural Revolution. You know, actually, the, during the Cultural Revolution, they did that everywhere. In the monastery, the all, uh, the, uh, for instance, in the school, you know, the universities, you have to stop all classes. You can't study anything. So you have to denounce all the uh, studies. Then you have to denounce those uh, professors and deans. Uh, then instead, you have to study the, you know, Chairman Mao's Red Book, like that. In the monastery, same thing. So that's uh, kind of uh, the communist uh, revolution, you know, just like that. You served as a liaison between the Tibetan monks, Tibetan Buddhism, and the Chinese government. What what did you do? How did you get that? In China, they didn't consider Tibet as a different country, you know, separate country. So they considered that the Tibetans are as one of the ethnic group in Chinese, you know. So in China, uh, except the Tibetans has Mongolians and the different Xinjiang, Uyghur, and like that. In 54 ethnics or 56 ethnics there, then Tibetans considered one of them. So actually, we're from eastern Tibet, which is today we could call the Qinghai province. So then the each location, which each province has certain representatives. So then those are from the school or monastery or nomads like that. So the for monastery, the abbots should be the representative of religion and the Tibetan religion. So then uh, once you have this position, then uh, they will always have uh, once a while have a big conference in Beijing or in uh, our you know, capital of the provinces. So then uh, you have to study the communist idea like that. Then you go to a monastery to 
educate the people. You know where where what which you learn. Ah,、uh, then if、uh, people have、uh, some kind of different thought or something, then you have to form them and report to government like that. So, you know, just go between like that. So the main idea is they try to control the religion and the ethnic groups. So then they instead they go to individuals. They just control those figurehead. So that's that's is the idea. So where. Kind of that's kind of、uh, job we had. Yeah, was that a difficult job for you? Very sometimes very difficult, but sometimes you can find the solution to work out. Yeah. You traveled、uh, and worked a lot with the Panchen Lama.、Uh, yes. Could you describe a little bit of the work that you did? Yes, Panchen Lama is a very special person. You know,、uh, I just mentioned that we have、uh, two spiritual leaders. The, the Dalai Lama is considered the. Political leader and a spiritual leader. Then, when Dalai Lama escaped in 1959, then Panchen Lama still in China. Then, also during the Cultural Revolution, he even went to a jail nine years. So, afterwards, then 80s, the China opened up because the Mao Zedong passed away. So the Chinese policy is changed. They call open policy. So that time, the Panchen Lamas. Position and uh, uh, everything uh, higher up, you know, promote. So then,、uh, he is a very interesting person because he really strongly protect and preserve Tibetan culture and religion. So then he always strongly say can say something, do lots of things like that. So he visited different places. So he visited Nepal one time. He visited Australia one time. He visited South America one time. So、uh, some of the visit, he always asked me to go with him. So I, you know, there's a group of people. So I'm one of them. I always,、uh, as his religious secretary. So I went to、uh, South America and、uh, Nepal. So in Nepal, actually, we had the Buddhist. The conference that time, it's a, a national a Buddhist conference there. So the international, I mean, so the different countries and representatives coming like that. So that time, actually, he prepared lots of things for Dalai Lama, His Holiness Dalai Lama. So he. Expect maybe His Holiness Dalai Lama will come and he can meet him there. So he prepared, but、uh, you know, of course, the Chinese government,、uh, you know, give pressure for the Nepalese government, and、uh, you know, they don't allow them to. Come, so that's why. Unfortunately, he didn't meet, but、uh, he had a wonderful visit there, and then he gave talks on the conference like that. So we had lots of interesting、uh, events there. And what other things did you do politically? Actually, politically,、uh, I just mentioned that the government sometimes ask us to go between the people and the, the government. Between you know, sometimes the people have, uh, uh, for instance, have demonstrations or protest or something in China. Consider this is very very serious thing, so they don't allow them to do that. If something happen, they might say, "Okay, you have to go." 
there and talk to them. Don't do this again. Like that kind of thing. You know, we have to go there and educate them. Okay, the government will okay. Later, if you have some difficulties, they will serve, you know, solve the problem. But don't do the protest or don't demonstrate. Like go between that kind of thing. Uh, except that that's, you know, not really all the time. Sometimes once a while that kind of thing happen, then you have to go between. Uh, otherwise, uh, in the monastery, we did lots of good things too. For instance, the recently had the earthquake, you, you might heard in Tibet area. So that's an area, unfortunately, uh, when I was there, had a big uh, snowstorm. So maybe almost one month, you know, the snow come down. So the animals died and people very had difficulties, like big tragedies there. So then we formed the uh, uh, Red Cross. Uh, so that's kind of under government leadership, you know. So you have to register and go uh, do some kind of, uh, you know, things uh, with government. So we formed that. And then we uh, we had the fund. Uh, then we uh, talked to government. Then we rent the cars and then trucks, big trucks. And then we loaded lots of food. And then we went there and gave to them, like that kind of thing. Then also we go to government and uh, request money from the government to renovate the monastery. And also we get some monies from government or some individuals. Then we help the village people to set up uh, uh, little clinics or schools like that. So that kind of thing also the government considered as uh, our duty. You know, so that's uh, that kind of thing we did before too. Now you went from that position to having to escape from Tibet. Could you describe that? I just uh, saying, you know, everything go between the government and the uh, people as a liaison, so you can do something there. However. The last chance I can't do it, I can't compromise. I had to escape because this is a spiritual thing and this is a face, you know, against my face. So the, the Panchalama I just mentioned, you know, Panchalama in 1989 he passed away. So then the, his reincarnation unfortunately came out too. So the Chinese government recognized one and the Dalai Lama recognized one. So unfortunately the Dalai Lama's version of the Panchalama was missing. So that's actually the government, uh, you know, put somewhere so we couldn't find him. So then uh, the government that's, uh, uh, you know, version of Panchalama, we have to forcefully recognize. So uh, even they asked me to become his teacher. So that's why I escaped. So when I escape, then that's not the easy thing. So also with my five family members, so then I, from Beijing, China, I uh, disguised as a tourist. Then I changed my robe. Then I wearing the, you know, regular clothes and ties and shoes and even have a dark glasses and uh, uh, with mustache like that. And then, <laughs> you know, five of us from Beijing escaped to Guatemala. So from Guatemala, then we contact to uh, His Holiness the Dalai Lama and uh, contact to the International Campaign for Tibet. So then uh, they helped a lot. And after their help, then we get the visa and we get in the United States. And we ask the political asylum here. Uh, it was uh, 1998. That's wonderful. <laughs> We've been speaking with Arjo Rinpoche, 
Production support for Profiles comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922, with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Megan Meyer, and our guest today is Arja Rinpoche, a high Tibetan lama and former abbot of the Kumbu Monastery in eastern Tibet. Today, he is the director of the Tibetan-Mongolian Buddhist Cultural Center in Bloomington, Indiana. His autobiography, Surviving the Dragon, includes a firsthand account of what Buddhist monks endured during the Cultural Revolution in Chinese-occupied Tibet. In your book, you talked about how while living in a politically active life in China, you yearned for a peaceful place to practice dharma. Yes. What does that mean to practice dharma? Uh, practice dharma, uh, the religious people always have uh, religious activities. During the Cultural Revolution, they uh, stopped them. You know, they, we don't have the chance to practice dharma. However, uh, people practice their religion is not really a conditional thing, you know, unconditional they can do because they're actually in the mind. So under that kind of circumstances, we still uh, practice the Buddhism. So that's why I mentioned that. Finding new incarnations of lamas who have passed away seems like a really complicated process, but it seems like it would have been even more complicated in an environment where religion and religious practice is repressed. Could you explain what an underground tulku is? Yes. That's a very interesting topic. Reincarnation is a Tibetan Buddhist traditional very unique thing. So the idea is the finding a high lama or abbots or your teacher's reincarnation to continue uh, give uh, teachings and hold the lineage. So after the great leap forward, which is 1958, then the Chinese government uh, really interrupted that uh, Buddhist activities and then they stopped them. They considered that as uh, feudalism. So they're allowed to have uh, that's uh, trukus or reincarnations. So actually until after the Cultural Revolution, which is uh, 80s, late 80s. So then the 80s, so the monasteries and everything reopened and religious activities they allowed to do. However, the 
Tuku Teng, you know, the reincarnation thing, they considered as uh, reestablishing the feudalism. So that's why the Chinese government says it no. However, people still want to have uh, these reincarnations to uh, give them blessings and teachings. So that's why they secretly uh, find them. The idea is secretly they went to uh, India or Nepal to find the high lamas there. So, for instance, like uh, His Holiness, including himself, and uh, some other high lamas in outside uh, Tibet. So then uh, they ask them, you know, they maybe give a recommendation or they try to find their reincarnation. When they come, you know, usually they have names. They go there and check, you know, so I have uh, 10 names. So I want somebody's reincarnation. Can you find them in that name or not? Sometimes they might say, no, still, you don't. You don't have this name here. You have to go back and check or something. You know, that's a big process. But, uh, you know, when sometimes they say, yes, uh, you do, you already find one here. So this person, such and such person, maybe your reincarnation. Then they secretly come and doing uh, some kind of ceremony in underground. You know, that's underground means that's a secret. Uh, you know, the government can't uh, find out. If you find out, they're not allowed to. So in Late 80s, uh, Tibet had lots of underground uh, reincarnations. So then finally, the Chinese government to find out this, then they have to solve this problem. Otherwise, that's a big issue. So then they finally recognized all of them. So now they made the new rule for the finding reincarnations. What would happen if you were to return to Tibet today? Actually, uh, compared than before, uh, now uh, people can return. You know, uh, people even ask the political asylums in the West, like the Tibetans. So uh, when they had the proper uh, status, they, they can return and visit. But my uh, situation is a little different. Maybe uh, I'm a considered the high ranking. So that's why they, my name and maybe somewhere there list. So that's why I can't go back. You know, if I go back, I have to really talk to them, maybe ask some kind of permit or, you know, they uh, have to do a little, you know, negotiation. So if uh, compromised and uh, if allowed to go, then I can go. Otherwise, I can't. You fled Tibet for Guatemala before arriving in the United States, where you spent some time in New York, L.A., San Francisco, but now you're in the Midwest. How and why (laughs) did you end up coming to a small community like Bloomington, Indiana? When I was in uh, San Francisco, uh, that was my kind of uh, second home. You know, I ended up there. So then we started a little center and uh, we have uh, some people with me. You know, we practice Buddhism together, meditate and like that. So late 2005, then the phone call from His Holiness private office. So then they said that there's a big mission uh, for you. Uh, you should go to Bloomington, uh, Indiana. Then I was surprised, you know, wow, then I, uh, then can I be excused? They back and forth several times phone, you know, after that they said, no, uh, there's uh, no choice. You have to go because that's his holiness request to you to go there. So then actually, uh, January 2006, I, I came to, uh, uh Bloomington, Indiana. So actually, 
Now I find out here it's very interesting. So generally, uh, compared to east coast or west coast here, more like, uh, you know, little conservative maybe, but uh, particularly this place is very liberal, you know, from the influence from the university, I guess. So that's why uh, people are very nice and very interesting. So uh, now I like uh, that supplement, you know. Do you find that it's a peaceful place to practice dharma, as you said in your book? Yes, yes. Uh, I find uh, this place very interesting, different than the California. Uh, however, very peaceful and very friendly, uh, and lots of things to do. You know. So uh, anyway, it's a, it's fine. It's fine now. How is the Tibetan Mongolian Buddhist cultural center today? different from what it was when you first arrived four, four and a half, five years ago? Yes, yes. So that's so different. When I come, actually, that center is in foreclosure. So that's the reason, you know, kind of urgent thing. You know, uh, they already put the newspaper and uh, the bank already come and signed or whatever, you know, uh, at a very short time, if nobody going to show up or taking care of that's banking loans, they're going to uh, take over. So that's kind of uh, situation I came. So when I come, so there's no religious activities. Everything's closed down, uh, of course, for closure. So very kind of uh, uh, serious situation. Then I come and uh, we had uh, several meetings. Then we formed the uh, board of directors. Uh, then we informed the situation to the private office. Then actually, His Holiness gave all of the loan or that's, you know, paid off. So uh, actually, it's a big number, 1.7 million. So we paid off. Then uh, we did lots of renovations. Of course, the buildings are getting a little older there. So then we started the religious activities. Then finally, after His Holiness uh, guidance, we changed the name also. So he was the one who came in and said that it should be the... the Tibetan-Mongolian Buddhist Cultural Center instead of just the Tibetan Cultural Center. Exactly, exactly. So when I came, he gave me three missions. So the first mission is continue preserve the, you know, culture and the religion, introduce the religion. Uh, And secondly, the Kumbum, you know, Kumbum, you just mentioned, it's a big uh, monastery in eastern Tibet. So uh, Kumbum doesn't have a branch or whatever outside the exile world. So then His Holiness said that should be the Kumbum West. So that's the second mission. The third mission, he said, uh, you as, uh, you know, the Mongolian descent from Tibet. So uh, you should uh, include those Mongolian people, you know, uh, lots of Mongolian people in the United States. Then recently, because the foreign relationship, lots of uh, people from directly from the Ulaanbaatar to Mongolia, uh, regionally, uh, the Mongolians and Tibetans uh, share the same tradition, you know, Buddhist religion, Tibetan tradition. So uh, actually, they don't have a place to go and practice in the United States. So that's why you should include in that Mongolians. So then uh, he also uh, recommended that name, 
like a Tibetan Mongolian Buddhist cultural center. So that's the reason we had that's a new name and they include them. So after that, lots of uh, Mongolian always coming. Actually, they're from uh, mostly from Chicago because Chicago have a big uh, Mongolian community there. How do you see the cultural center 10 years from now? Actually, it is a you know, challenge. The center, I'm always uh, making a joke, you know, Dharma Center, which means like, uh, you know, the initial is D and uh, C, Dharma Center. Uh, and also, you can see uh, D and C explained as a Dharma company, you know. The center itself as a uh, institute, you know, you have to learn. You, you can have a chance to study and learn uh, practice. Uh, however, the administration, you know, that's like a company. So you have to pay the utilities and the bills and everything. Otherwise, uh, you know, you can't uh, open your uh, temple. So then how to uh, get some revenue or income to uh, run the center is a big challenge. So we monthly have a pretty big expenses, like uh, 12000 maybe. So then we have uh, cottages, we have uh, activities, then we have uh, some revenue, but that's always a little shortened, you know, like maybe seven, uh, 8000 so others uh, kind of deficit, you know. Uh, in the future, I'm thinking, uh, His Holiness mentioned that several times, you know, uh, that's a center not just as a Dharma center, you know, the Buddhist center also uh, should be a learning institute. So then in that case, I'm thinking how uh, maybe uh, we can have a little smaller class maybe shorter class. So uh, His Holiness said that uh, Buddhism as uh, three parts. So, uh, in other words, maybe Buddhism can have uh, three characteristics. Uh, the one is uh, Buddhist uh, philosophy. The second is Buddhist science. So, the third, uh, he considers Buddhist, uh, you know, the rituals. So, the rituals are like a more saying prayers or in the monastic style. So that's part in the West. They said that you already have uh, that's a Western religion. So that's why you don't need that part. Uh, once you want it, then that's uh, another issue. Otherwise, you don't need to promote that area. Uh, that's a part. But the most important is uh, Buddhist science and the Buddhist uh, philosophy. So maybe in the future, we might start the uh, Buddhist philosophy classes here. So the very beginning stage, maybe have uh, some little small class, maybe short time. Uh, in the future, maybe we can start a institute. Maybe some reason can make a connection between the IU or some other universities. Uh, that's just my dream. So in the future, maybe uh, we might have a, a regular classes in our temple beside those uh, uh, Buddhist activities. Then also cultural uh, activities are very important also. You mentioned Buddhism as science or the scientific aspect of, of Buddhism. Could you elaborate a little more on that? What does that mean? Yeah, that's uh, really uh, the science, you know, 
uh, I'm not a science, so that's why I can't explain it. But uh, that's mostly like uh, uh, proved by numbers, and uh, you know, you have to have show something, you know, not just like uh, spiritually. Uh, however, the Buddhist, some of the philosophers are not just the spiritual thing, you know, actually it's a sh- uh, showing cause and effect. For instance, we say life is impermanent. So that's a life is impermanent. Every phenomena is impermanent. You know, no matter good or bad, it always change, changing. You know, so that's a kind of idea is a scientific idea. You know, there's no controversy between the uh, science and Buddhism. For instance, you say reincarnation and like a spiritual thing. Maybe the scientists can't, uh, you know. <laughs> really can't hold it, but uh, you know others. Uh, we really can, especially the mind. You know, like uh, how to create that that's, uh, stress and uh, how to reduce the uh, stress. Like uh, that's actually it's a chemical uh, thing in the, your mind. And uh, you know, the Buddhist idea is stay positive. Uh, and uh, thinking about uh, everything is uh, kind of uh, uh, easy and simple. Uh, in other words, maybe, you know, everything is by cause and effect. So why you have uh, that stress? Because you have some kind of cause. So then you reduce those causes, maybe then the result more uh, like easy or, you know, more happiness, something like that. So that's why the really the some discussions and the profound meanings are uh, very, uh, can stay consistent with uh, scientific idea. So that's why we really want to emphasize this part. You recently had audience with the Dalai Lama yes. who made a visit to Indiana. What kinds of things did you talk about with him? Actually, uh, his holiness visit very busy for him. For instance, when he come before for five months, we already uh, confirmed by the office of Tibet. So he is coming. So then we have to make a very rough uh, schedule uh, for them and uh, uh, you know uh, prove them. So when they approved that, then said, okay, this is the rough schedule. They first do what, and they second, they third. When the time's up, when, when he come, then the more and more thing added on that. So that's why the schedule is very busy. My point is I really uh, kind of hosting him, but I, I really don't have a time to talk to him like that. Uh, actually, there's a very interesting time uh, when he arrived I always accompany him on the special vehicle. In his special vehicle, I always accompany with him. So that period of time, it's a kind of a free. So wherever we discuss something, he's very interested in some other topic like that. So he always asking some questions like that. I also can ask some questions or some kind of discussion. Those are very interesting time. You know, not they never scheduled at me, you know. So that's why that time even very interesting because the other times like more official, like, uh, you know, formal, so the time's uh, very, you know, tight. So just five minutes or ten minutes audience or something, you know. So that's that's very interesting. So that's why I had a very interesting time with him, yeah, actually. And how was it to to host his visit? What what was difficult about it? I imagine 
there was just a lot of very complicated scheduling involved. Yeah, that's uh, political and uh, spiritual, like uh, both, you know. So in uh, spiritually, uh, in our tradition, we host uh, His Holiness Dalai Lama as uh, hosting a uh, king of Dharma, you know, like that. So, for instance, like uh, somebody in the Catholic tradition just hosting a pope, you know, like that's kind of feeling. So that's why very honored, very uh, serious, very formal like that. Uh, then uh, second part is a political issue also uh, because he's a Nobel Peace uh, Prize winner. So that's why the, uh, the every country, you know, when, when he visits every country, the country itself has a different kind of levels to, uh, you know, host him or something like that. So when he come and visit, so the State Department always come first. So uh, this time, I guess at least there are 40 people, you know, more than that maybe police involved. So then they all have different duties and different levels, but uh, mostly 10 or 12 people around him. Those people also, you know, have their own kind of agenda or schedule. So everything is very tight and very, you know, the time and everything. So then uh, always uh, then he starts some kind of discussion or something because lots of people are asking questions. So that's why the schedule always deleted. I feel like spiritually very honored, politically or something very formal and like that. So everything is very serious, but very, you know, himself is very, very kind and gentle, uh, that person. So then they, when busy, uh, some schedule, then when get on car and then relax, shake the hand and laughing and talking, uh, like uh, kidding the drivers like that. So very, very interesting. Yeah. Why did he come? In our tradition, we require those teachings you have to uh, request the first. So at least the four or five years ahead, you have to require him. So in the, for the private office, you write the formal letter, says, okay, in our area, we need that kind of teaching or something. Then he will say, oh, no, 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 that's teaching is too long. I will give the other some teaching or, you know. After this discussion, then he can come and visit. So the, the other hand is financial support. So when he come and visit, then we always sell tickets for the Buddhist or Dharma students. Also, we organize some kind of public talk. So then during that time, we also sell the merchandise and like that. You know, even uh, the city of Bloomington also can, you know, have a very good uh, opportunity to meet lots of tourists like that. So that's financially maybe very sportive. So after that's all talks and teachings, he's not taking one, even one penny money from the public talk, you know. So last time, the 2007, you know, he's very tired like that. I feel like sorry, you know, like he's giving talk, like everything's free, free. Then I made a little donation, you know, our center. So then he said, no, I already promised that 40 years ago for the teaching public talk, I will never take one 
penny. So that's why no. Anyway, we have lots of expenses like the rentals and the cars and the food and the, the volunteers, uh, some other things like uh, auditorium and the conceivable field and the everything. But uh, after that, so still we have uh, some revenue. So the revenue you have to uh, make uh, clear, like a plan. So some of them still run the our. You know programs in the center. Some of them go to a cancer care hospital, for instance. We're making one. Then some of them go to a earthquake in Tibet, like that. Actually, it's、uh, two sides. You know, one is for the Dharma teaching because we request. So the other hand is he's coming and doing some kind of fundraising for us and、uh, financially support also. In your autobiography, Surviving the Dragon, you describe. Previous incarnations of Archer Rinpoche, Rinpoche, yes, yes, some of whom were known for their swordsmanship and their martial arts expertise. <laughs> Are you good with a sword? No, no, <laughs> no.、Uh, the reincarnation, you know, every person has this kind of a, their special personalities like that. So. That's why I mentioned, you know, in the, most of them different, you know, each reincarnation different, but、uh, sometimes some of them has some kind of interesting connection or relationship. So that's why I I mentioned those kind of thing. So people always ask me, you know, oh, you're the reincarnation of、uh, the eight、uh, Archer Rinpoche. So do you remember the seventh one? What he has done and what he looks like, or what he studied? You already know all of them, or you know, actually the answer is no. I don't have any. Kind of thing from <laughs> leftover things from the previous one.、Uh, however, there's an interesting thing in my book. I mentioned, you know, he, my previous one, he's a scholar, great scholar. He doesn't like art. He very emphasized the study and the writing and the reading like that. So then later on,、uh, they have to do some kind of art thing, you know, doing the sand mandala like that. Then he can't do it. So he's really disappointed and、uh, kind of、uh, making wishes, or we we call the inspirational prayer. We say they're making inspirational prayer for next life. So because of that reason or what I don't know, but、uh, now I'm an artist. You know, I'm artist, but I never been to school and study. Just、uh, kind of、uh, I like it and automatically become like that. So that's maybe、uh, some kind of wishes from the previous life. Or influence from previous life, so that's I'm saying. So, do you have an inspirational prayer for your next incarnation? Yeah, definitely. My inspirational the prayer is very interesting. I said the, my prayer is I I'm the last one. So then the、uh, next Arjunbuchi、uh, should be a academic uh, uh, system, not、uh, really a reincarnation. You know, so. There's a reincarnation、uh, should be a like uh, academic uh, non or you know like worth. So when somebody is a good monk, then he really has some kind of、uh, contribution for the society or the monastery and Buddhist study. Then you can reach this、uh, level or. Reincarnation. That's、uh, not reincarnation, but that's name. You know, like title. So that's that's I'm planning. So, but it's a kind of a new 
thing. <laughs> so, yeah, this is my inspirational prayer. Wonderful. Well, uh, Rinpoche, thank you very much for, for being here. Uh, we've been speaking with Arja Rinpoche, the uh, director of the Tibetan-Mongolian Buddhist Cultural Center. This is Megan Meyer, and thank you for listening. Thank you. The program you just heard was recorded in May of 2010. The studio engineer and technical producer was Michael Paskash. Production support for Profiles comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922, with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Copies of this or other programs can be obtained by calling 812-855-1357. Information about profiles, including archives of past shows, can be found on our website, wfiu.org. Profiles is a production of WFIU and comes from the studios at Indiana University. Christina Kuzmich, executive producer. Please join us again for the next edition of Profiles. For WFIU, thanks for listening.